Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here to discuss in depth what I think is the number one objection that people have a hard time dealing with and the number one way that people end up shooting themselves in the foot when it comes to scaling up their sales process, which is ultimately responsible for scaling up their marketing, which is ultimately responsible for getting outside of referrals, which is something that everyone needs to do on the path to seven figures and beyond. And that is the objection of, I don't have the money for it. So this is something that everyone hears in consultations. I'm sure, you know, even people with referrals, this is something that comes up. And what's really, really tricky about this is that it is technically something that you have control over that people don't realize that they have control over, or I should be a little bit more specific that people who are inexperienced with process of sales and persuasion will take at face value. Because if you think about this, if you hear, I can't afford it, and you believe, you know, just take it at face value, the person can't afford it, they don't physically have the money, then it's not your fault. There's nothing you could have done differently to create money in that person's world that would have allowed you to close the sale. But what experienced salespeople and the people that end up at seven figures figure out some point along the line of getting marketing to click, because this is something that's more likely to show up in external sources of marketing than it is on a referral, is that getting the money is sort of a temperature check. And there's subjectivity into what people consider money that they have access to. And that is directly proportionate to the amount of trust you're ending up building in a consultation the size of the need and how clear you're making it in your prospect's mind. So to kind of go through a ridiculous example, there was this really ridiculous crime that ended up happening. I think it was five or 10 years ago, and they ended up making a um, a movie about it. It was a comedy, weirdly enough. But what they did was they basically strapped a bomb to this guy's neck and had them come up with, you know, $10,000 or something like that. And they recommended that he rob a bank. (laughs) And the guy ended up robbing a bank with a bomb strapped to his neck and eventually blew up. It was really kind of a sad situation. But you can probably imagine that the guy didn't wake up with the, you know, ability to rob a bank in his like realm of experience, right? But the need, in this case, a very extreme one of the threat of a death (laughs) looming over him, caused him to access money that he didn't know that he had available, right? And I know this is an absolutely ridiculous example, but there's part of this that is in play with every single consultation you have. I want to take, for example, something that's probably a little bit closer to legal, right? So, you know, if you guys are familiar with DWI, you guys do DWI type stuff, you know, this is often something that can cost a fair amount of money, right? You know, I'm seeing stuff sometimes if it gets into like kind of the crazy levels, if you have to, if you have to go into like extended court and stuff, I've seen these costs anywhere from fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 plus. Normally, you're not getting out of that for less than three or $5,000. And again, that's not something that most people are willing to just ready to pay at any given time. But if we have the situation where they're not going to be able to drive to work that makes them 50000 or 100000 or $200,000 a year, 
or, you know, God forbid they're, you know, self-employed, maybe they're a contractor and they're not able to make it to a job, there's the possibility that's going to cost them a lot more. So in those instances, why it's sometimes easy for people to make those closes that if you can, if you can make this air quotes case, so to speak, no pun intended, before you're asking for the money, then 3000 or $5,000 or $20,000 is a fraction of what they stand to lose otherwise. And that's basically one of the situations where people will figure things out. If you don't have $5,000 in your checking account, you might go to your savings account, you might put it on a credit card, you might clear out your 401k, you might ask your rich uncle, there's a lot of different options that people can have to come up with the money. But again, you're not looking for those options if the need doesn't exist. So there's kind of two ways that we, we kind of look at this. And let's kind of do this goofus and gallant style. So the inexperienced salesperson and the person who's likely to maintain their status as being inexperienced because they're not going to be looking inwards about this stuff, accepts the I can't afford it objection as at face value. But the reality is the experienced salesperson finds that as a very, very small percentage of the people. So for somebody to actually not be able to afford something, they have to literally have no money in their checking account, no money in their savings account, complete inability to pull any money out of any you know long-term savings account, IRA, 401k, et cetera. If they have credit cards, they're going to be maxed out. And, you know, they don't have anyone that will pick up their call and be able to borrow their money. The amount of people that actually fit that bill are is like really, really small. Like, you know, these are, these are the absolute, you know, people at the, the total end of the rope. When I had to look this stuff up for doing a similar version of this for our internal program for K-School clients, um, I actually ended up looking up the average amount of credit that an American has. And um, the number is actually north of $20,000. So unless you're charging $20,000 for your retainer, Chances are, unless again, somebody has, not to say that there aren't people who carry balances on their credit cards, but assuming that they're not at the end of the rope, you know, that there's money that people have access to. So that what inexperienced salespeople accept is 100% of people that say, I can't afford it is actually a very, very small percentage if you actually find out people aren't. And again, you don't want to take this stuff at face value either. You want to do your due diligence to do this. So the second type of person that the experienced salesperson will consider when somebody says, I can't afford it is the person that does not know how they can afford it. They can't afford it, but they're not aware of it. One of the easiest ways that, and this is actually a, a line that I took, a, a coach that I had way back in the day, I, I'd give credit if I remember who it was, but it's been a lot of years. So instead of asking, hey, you know, it's going to be this, that's, you know, do you have the money for that? So, well, okay, well, the price is going to be $5,000. What do you have access to cash or credit? So just bringing that into the conversation just automatically opens up for most people on average about $20,000, right? And again, if the need is big enough, people will call family members, they will money out of their 401k. It's, it's, it's just a matter of how urgent we end up making it, right? But just expanding that definition just a little bit ends up taking people out of the you know most conservative way that people approach. And again, it's usually normally how people are going to represent it as being like, you know, I don't have that money in my back pocket or in my checking account or my glove box or whatever, right? Now, the third possibility, and this is kind of the ugliest one to confront, is that they're saying they can't afford it because they know that if they are representing as somebody who can't close, you're going to leave them alone. But the reason that they're saying that is that they don't want to work with you. They don't think that the solution that you're proposing is the one they need or, or any you know different situation that they could have. They think they can get it for cheaper or whatever, right? So ultimately, it's a smokescreen. They can't afford it. They just don't want to work with you. And this isn't something that most people are going to ask, but you have to realize that if you have the courage to ask that question and more appropriately to do the due diligence to eliminate all the other options besides that question, 
then that's a much better data point because you're in control of that. The person that is blindly, you know, taking that projection at face value is not going to be changing anything about how they manage a consultation. And they're more likely to be in the exact same place one month, six months, you know, a year from now. The person who is able to ask the questions will not only find more people that they're going to actually be able to move forward with, but when you've done your due diligence on closing and you've made it all the way to determine that basically, hey, look, there's no other reason that somebody could logically not have the money for this. They just don't want to work with me. Then you're going to be looking to do things differently in your next consultation. And not only are you going to be closing more deals in the future, but you're going to be more empowered to understand where the feedback is, right? One of the things that, but again, like I said, I, I don't want to minimize that. That's like a really difficult question to ask. So I think a lot of people will kind of default on logic, but it's really kind of a lack of, you know, there's almost a pride or a narcissism in not wanting to confront the possibility that somebody wouldn't want to work with you. But at the end of the day, swallowing a little bit of humble pie is really, really super key in terms of getting the outcomes that you actually want, which for most people is going to be closing more business, right? But anyways, and this is something that uh, like we've been kind of experimenting. This is something that um, we see this happen with clients, but you know, it happens with us as well as case fuel. So whenever we have a situation and um, this ended up happening to me, this is something that happens on a, a decent, you know, I mean, this is something that you know happens all the time with any service that you have, right? So you have somebody who ends up booking a consultation and people reschedule. One reschedule is totally fine. I think life happens. That's something you can reasonably expect just because you know, everyone's got stuff going on. If you get two reschedules, though, that usually means something to me. So if we ever have the situation and I just go out and say this normally, if I have the second reschedule and, um, and I'm following up or I'm having somebody on my appointment team follow up with somebody, I goes like, hey, look, here's the deal. And this is the second time we've rescheduled it. If this isn't something that's you're interested in anymore, that's totally fine. Just let me know. It's not going to hurt my feelings. And what's kind of interesting is there's nothing but, I mean, that, that's kind of a hard question to ask. And, you know, to be honest, it would hurt my feelings a little bit. But, but when, when you're taking the pressure out of it, here's what happens. One, you'll lose, you know, follow-up burden on somebody who's never going to close. There are some people who say, yeah, you know, honestly, it's not really a good time or I've changed my mind or, or whatever, right? And then that kind of, you know, that's, that's something that you don't have to worry about anymore. You're not going to be mentally attached to pipeline that's not going to close. And the weird thing is that, you know, it's, it's actually a pretty small percentage of people who actually say that I'm not interested. The most common re response I'll say is like, you know, if you have some of the situation, either people will start to take it more seriously because they understand that this isn't something that you're desperate for. And you've taken kind of the, uh, the negative emotional saying out of that, you've taken the guilt out of it. And sometimes people will actually be more eager to get on the call after you've shown them that it's not something you absolutely need to do. But again, you have to put yourself out there. The reason why most people don't do stuff like that is because it sucks to hear that somebody doesn't want to work with you or whatever happened with your process and marketing to that point didn't get somebody foaming at the mouth to want to speak to you, right? But again, kind of in the, the big picture of this, I know we've gone really, really deep on this extremely specific example of people saying they can't afford it. But as sort of a meta wrapper on this stuff, it's in asking the questions that you don't want to hear the answer to if it ends up being no, that you actually get any progress and you know any information that's actually going to drive you forward and um, getting to it, right? So it's like, you have to kind of really ask yourself the question, is it more important for me to feel good and smart and competent and all those things every single day, 100% of the time? Or am I willing to risk that to get to the next level? There's only growth and discomfort, just like the gym, right? You're not going to be getting bigger or stronger if you're not going to be sore every single day. 
well, not every single day, but you get the idea. <laughs> your growth is going to be proportionate to your discomfort. So last thing. So again, this is kind of an interesting, you know, we've got some tactical stuff, but you know, think about those questions that you're afraid to ask. Um, a lot of times the growth is going to be there. So I um, hope this was helpful, guys. And uh, I will see all you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.